Good morning. The reading today is taken from Acts 6, verses 1 to 7, and can be found on page 1098 of the Church Bibles. The Choosing of the Seven. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of the God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, and uh, hello again, welcome. Uh, just a couple of uh, things to say before we think about this. Uh, firstly, what wasn't made clear is that in fact there were two events happening at exactly the same time last weekend, Bears Camp A and Bears Camp 1, uh, both of which had no more than 30 people involved in them for, to comply with the current COVID rules. Just to save anybody an email should they wish to uh, uh, let me know that uh, over the week, that's very good. Uh, the second thing to say is that sometimes when we... Uh, approach a passage for a, for a preach, sometimes uh, we'll look at it and go, gosh, there's so much uh, in this that I want to expound upon. Uh, and sometimes we'll look at a passage and go, oh my word, what am I going to say about that? Uh, and then sometimes a passage will hit you swear, square in the face and feel like it's speaking directly to you rather than necessarily to everyone else. This week, it's most definitely been one of those weeks. The Lord has really spoken clearly to me through this passage, and I hope through the things that we've thought, I thought about to some of you as well. Uh, but if not, out, nothing else, it's helped me. So that's all good, isn't it? Let's um, pray together before we uh, think about this passage a bit more. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us in so many different ways. And as we come before you and come before it this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would dwell deeply within it that you would speak through it and that you would lead us to your living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I wonder how many of you have read the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by uh, Stephen Covey. Uh, I haven't. Uh, it's probably where I'm going wrong, uh, but never mind. Uh, Stephen Covey coined the phrase, keep the main thing the main thing. And the original title for our talk this morning was actually Right People, Right Job. And as we go through this morning, you'll see, and as you thought of the passage a moment ago, you'll see why that would have been a good title uh, originally. 
But actually, as I've looked at this passage this week, I think it has a wider message for us, which is well summed up by that phrase, keep the main thing the main thing. Now, as I say, another thing that we normally do when we preach is we look at a passage and we say, what's this passage saying uh, and what, what, what's it saying to us uh, today? I'm going to slightly change that approach uh, this morning. For those of you already looking worried, don't, don't worry, I'm not about to start preaching a different gospel uh, or anything like that. But I think in this passage, there are at least three pitfalls that the apostles very nearly fall into, that we often fall into but that they manage to avoid. And in managing to avoid, the church uh, continues to grow. Remember, the purpose of us doing this series over the last few months was to look at what the early church had done and how that might relate to us as we grow and develop and move forward. So there are three pitfalls, as I say, that I think that they nearly fall into. Firstly, they're in danger of being defeated. Secondly, they're in danger of being distracted. And thirdly, they're in danger of being depleted. Now, I have already uh, repented of my pride for managing to get three points or starting with the same letter. It doesn't happen very often, uh, but there we go. So defeated then. I wonder how many of you have heard the phrase, when the lights come on, the bugs will come. It's very warm at the moment. We've all been enjoying this beautiful weather. Perhaps some of us have had barbecues in the evening and stayed outside late into the evening as it's become dark. Maybe we've put the lights on and then we've seen all of the bugs be attracted to that light. It's also true of the gospel and of the kingdom of God. Whenever there is a movement of God, whenever his light is shining, the evil one doesn't like it and tries to oppose it. We're baptizing three candidates today. A little later, I'll give them a candle. That candle symbolizes them stepping from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the evil one doesn't like that, doesn't want that to happen. As followers of Christ, we will know at times when we've come against opposition. We prayed for them before the service. Rowena prayed for them again a moment ago that they won't. We don't need to fear. The Bible tells us the one that lives in us is greater than the one who lives in the world. But opposition is real when the kingdom of God is at work. And the apostles, the disciples have seen this already. The church is persecuted early in Acts. They try to stop them from preaching, remember? And they ignored that. They carried on doing it anyway. And the church continued to grow. They're in danger of being corrupted. We thought about this a couple of weeks ago. Sapphira and Ananias. God ensured, intervened to ensure that corruption doesn't enter into the early church. They're in danger here again of being defeated, this time by division. Another D. It says in our passage that a problem has arisen between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Now, Long story short, essentially there were two sections of Jews. One were the Hebraic Jews. They stuck to the original, and they were from the original, uh, read the original Torah in Hebrew. There were the Hellenistic Jews who were part of the diaspora. They would read the Torah in, um, in a Greek translation. They were mostly Greek-speaking. We don't really know whether this was a real problem or not. 
But the word problem that we see in the text here, in the Greek, is a word called gongismus. It's quite a satisfying word to say, gongismus. It doesn't really mean problem. What it means is grumbling or moaning or chattering amongst themselves. Now, as I say, we don't know whether this was a real problem, but what we read about here isn't what Jesus talks about in Matthew 18, where if you've got a problem with a, with a brother or a sister, you go and talk to them about it. No, this is very much the grumbling, the moaning, the causing of division amongst themselves uh, that we see in this passage. I suspect this wasn't the only grumbling or moaning going on in the early church. I'm certain that we have seen this in the church uh, in this country, although I'm also certain that that would never ever have happened here at St. Jude's in the past. But maybe it's just me, but this was the first challenge for me this week, because there are times when I do love to moan. I think the pandemic has made us all into championship moaners, even those of us who usually have a sunny disposition manage to find things to moan about. Imagine being part of that original 120, now in this church, of many thousands. You can almost hear them, can't you? It's not like it used to be here. You have to get there early in order to get a seat. Oh, I hope it's Peter speaking today. I do so much prefer him to John. Why does he never wear shoes? <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, of course. We don't know. Perhaps this was the only thing that they were murmuring and complaining about. But the issue is far more about the fair division of food. It's this danger of division that is at the heart of what's happening here. And division in the church will kill it, and it will stop it from growing. God hates it. And I don't use that word lightly. Proverbs 6 says, Here are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Number seven is a person who stirs up conflict within the community. Jesus prays against this. John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Paul warns against this in Romans 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How are we doing with this today? I know that the Lord wants to add to our number daily those who he is calling to know him. We need to be careful to keep the main thing, the main thing, and not to allow ourselves to be defeated by def being divided as the apostles managed to avoid here. So they're in danger of this being defeated. They're also in danger of being distracted. Verse 2 of our reading says, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, just a health check here. What they're not, what's not saying here is that waiting on tables is in any way less important than the ministry of the word uh, or, or indeed to prayer necessarily. Each of us have different callings, and each of us have the same value before God. We're all part of the body of Christ. We each have different functions. Remember that wonderful reading in Corinthians. The hand cannot say to the foot, I do not need you. The head cannot say to the arm, I do not need you. We all have the same value, but we all have different callings, different functions. 
So the disciples here are being, are in danger of being distracted from their main calling. And how well do we do at this, I wonder? Ironic for me, to be honest, uh, that this is the passage that I'm preaching on this week. Because some weeks I do this really well, and other weeks I do this really badly. And this week is a week when I've done it really badly. I set aside good amounts of time to prepare for this morning and spent three quarters of it metaphorically ministering to the tables, waiting on tables. So much so that I had to cancel some stuff yesterday in order to give enough time to prepare for you this morning. The things that I did were important. The things that I did were largely enjoyable. But they weren't the things that God had called me to do for which I've already apologized to God and I apologize to you as your vicar as well. I will do better. But I suspect all of us from time to time are in danger of doing this in our own lives. I also suspect it's not just an issue for individuals. I think it's also an issue for the wider church. It's the purpose of us going through this vision setting process that we've done over the last few months. We need to learn what God is calling us to do, but also crucially, what God is calling us not to do. How many churches have died, I wonder, because they've been so busy, again metaphorically perhaps, waiting on tables, that they didn't give proper time to the ministry of the word and to prayer. The disciples, the apostles here, are ministering out of their calling. They avoid this pitfall that perhaps we don't avoid quite so easily. If you know you're called to do something and you haven't got time to do it, then you're probably in danger of being distracted and in danger once again of not keeping the main thing, the main thing. The final D then. They're in danger, I think, of being depleted here. The disciples could have said, oh, I'm so sorry about this issue. I'll fix it for you immediately. I'll find some time. You know, I don't really need to go to bed uh, this evening. I'll do it this evening. I'll sort it for you. Don't worry. They don't say that. We probably all know people in this congregation who are in danger of doing that. They see a need. They go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that's a thing that we need to do. We will do it. Again, it's hit me between the eyes, probably. But the reality was... God had already got in mind the people he was calling to do this work. It wasn't the responsibility of the leaders just to take it on board uh, themselves. It was the responsibility of the faithful to say, actually, you know what? That's something that I'm called to. We as a church have needs as we go into next term. We need people to help with our children and our young uh, people's ministry. We need people to help serve tea and coffee after this service. We need people to help on the door, welcoming people, making sure the building is safe and ready for us. I've got fantastic news for you, though, this morning. God has already provided all the people that we need for September. All of the spaces in the roto, he's already provided the people for. The only problem is some of them don't know it yet. Some of them may be sat here in front of me this morning, maybe watching at home, maybe listening a little bit later, maybe sat next to you. He isn't calling those who are overtired and already fulfilling the calling that God has on them to film their diary with more. He may be calling some of those to do some of those roles, but only if they're able to remove the things that are therefore a distraction. Remember, Jesus said his yoke is easy 
and his burden is light. If it doesn't feel easy, if it doesn't feel light, then you're not yoked properly to the Lord. He's calling us to be released into whatever it is God has called us to do. It's interesting uh, to me that the issue was raised by the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews. And all of the names of the people that were called to fix the problem are all Greek names. The people who raised the problem are the people who are fixing the problem. Perhaps a lesson for us as well. We are called to be different parts of the body and to do different things for the Lord. Authority is a bit of a dirty word in the church sometimes. And I hope to redress that when we come to do living free in the autumn term. Because I believe authority in its proper sense is a marker of the kingdom of God. For me, the main principle of those in authority in the church is to release the faithful into gifts of service. It's my principal calling as your vicar to release you into whatever it is God has called you to do. It isn't my calling to release you into the gaps that I have on my rotor. Ideally, by releasing you into what God has called you to, the gaps in the rotor will be filled if we trust the Lord into what we're doing. But actually, the calling is to release people into what God has called them to. Of course, there are times when we're all called to serve one another and we need to have our eyes open for those around us and for those needs. But our principal task is to discern what the Lord has called us to and to focus on those things. So how are we doing this morning? How good are we at keeping the main thing the main thing? Are we, like the disciples, in danger of being uh, defeated by being divided? Are we in danger of being distracted from the things that God has called us to? Or perhaps being depleted by trying to do everything? Or do we have their wisdom, their understanding to avoid these traps so that the Lord can continue to add to our number daily those who, we, who believe. I wonder if you would stand with me, and I'm going to pray for us before we, the band lead us again in another song. I'm just going to give us a moment of quiet, just to ask the Lord which of those challenges particularly he wants to speak to us about today. Are we in danger of being defeated and of division? Are we in danger of being distracted from our main calling or perhaps depleted? As we hold those things in our mind, let's just offer them back to the Lord and say sorry to him for the times perhaps when we have been divided or divisive, distracted or depleted. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much for your grace for us. We thank you that you call us to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for the all that you've done for us. Just in another moment of quiet, maybe ask the Lord 
Lord, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me not to do? How best can I serve you, Lord? How can I serve you best? Before the service, we were praying and we felt the Lord give us a couple of pictures. Uh, one was of some very uh, sturdy trees, which from a distance on a still day looked to be completely unmoving. And when you got closer, you could hear the leaves rustling for the wind gently moving through them. And the Lord perhaps wanted to say to somebody that sometimes he moves gently amongst you, but he is moving. The second picture was a door opened to Jesus and somebody felt like that door was closing at the moment, worried that it might close completely. But the Lord wants you to know he's never, ever going to let it close. Lord, wherever we are individually from this passage, we thank you that you do call us. You know us. You gift us differently. We thank you that you call us into community together to serve you and to see your kingdom at work. Lord God, we pray that your kingdom will be allowed to grow and, and blossom and shine. We pray against any work of the evil one that would seek to distract, that would seek to have us defeated. Lord, we pray against those times when we feel depleted, like the burden is heavy and the yoke is hard. And we pray that you would call us back to yourself and help us to know your presence and power at work in us. As the band leaders, come Holy Spirit and minister to us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.